0: Hello everyone and welcome to Surveillance Report 52, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. That's right, number 52, we have done a year's worth of surveillance reports. On that note, you may have noticed last week we didn't have a surveillance report, we experienced some technical difficulties, and the more we tried to fix them, the the longer it took. So long story short, we decided not to give you a half finished product of super late, we decided to just wait and bring you this extended report on our usual schedule. So this report is going to recap some of the most notable events from the last two weeks including some Apple CSAM updates, the gigantic T-Mobile data breach, some privacy-related news stories from Afghanistan, and much, much more. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry is away this week on an adventure. This week's Surveillance Report is brought to you by Monero. That is right, Monero. It is a cryptocurrency, kind of like Bitcoin, in case you have not heard of it. I know we've talked about it before. It's about as private as a cryptocurrency can get. We totally recommend it. Both TechLore and The New Oil accept donations in Monero. It is a great way to be in control of who you donate to. And that is actually something we're gonna talk about later on in this episode. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, check out Monero. As usual, let's start with our data breaches. And this week, we're going to start with the big one, the T-Mobile data breach that you have probably heard about. T-Mobile is the second largest mobile carrier in the United States. They suffered a data breach of 54.6 million customers, including former customers, all the way back to 2004. The information affected included social security numbers, phone numbers, names, physical address, IMEI, and driver's license information. The CEO is very adamant that no financial data was stolen, but of course, completely glossed over the fact that you don't need financial data when you have somebody's social security number, name, and address and you can just open up a credit card in their name. Recently, the attacker who did this did an interview with the Wall Street Journal. He has a really interesting story that I'm not going to share here because you should go read it and make up your own minds. He said that he was scanning T-Mobile's network for a long time. He found a weakness in an unprotected router. The article said that he used a tool that's available to the public, which of course could mean anything. The CEO is claiming that the attacker used specialized tools and brute forced his way in. I guess they're both probably telling the truth, but he's definitely making it out like, nah, this guy worked really, really hard. And he's like, no, I really didn't. He straight up said their security sucks. In response to this event, T-Mobile is offering ID theft protection with McAfee and has hired a company called Mandiant to help improve their security. I do not recommend you take this protection from McAfee. Long story short, it's just ineffective and you can do a better job yourself for free. And adding these companies just adds someone else into the mix. The way you can protect your identity is a credit freeze. It's free to all US citizens. You can also prevent this by in the future, just buying your phones in cash which I know is kind of hard when we're talking about $1,000 smartphones, but it is totally worth it to save up. And if you make a payment, you're gonna end up paying all that money anyways, plus interest. So it makes more sense to buy it in cash. That way you don't have to give them a name. You don't have to give them a social security number. That way, the next time this happens, because mark my words, this will happen again to somebody, you won't be caught up in that. Okay, let's move on to our next data breach, which is from AT&T. And this is the exact opposite of how you handle a data breach. A cyber criminal is auctioning 70 million users in a database that includes names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, and dates of birth. An unnamed researcher took four sample accounts that the attacker had released and found that two of them had AT&T accounts, which is why we're pretty sure this came from AT&T. They're called Shiny Hunters. They have also in the past breached services like Wattpad, Microsoft's GitHub account, T-Spring, and other data breaches that I know we have definitely discussed on here. Our next data breach comes from Microsoft. 38 million records were exposed online, including contact tracing info. Microsoft has a portal service called Power Apps that allows anyone to create their own portal and database for just about any purpose. A researcher at UpGuard found that Many of these could be publicly accessed if you use the right trickery. In addition to contact tracing databases, companies that were affected by this include American Airlines, Ford, JB Hunt, the Maryland Department of Health, New York City Municipal Transportation Authority, and New York City Public Schools. There is no evidence that the data was accessed, but, we always like to err on the side of caution and assume that it was. Our next story comes from a researcher with Security Discovery who has found that the secret terrorist watch list with 2 million records was also exposed online. Bob Diachenko came across this on an exposed ElasticSearch cluster that was not password protected. This cluster ended up including a watch list with information like names, country, citizenship, gender, date of birth, passport details and no-fly status. The database was indexed on other search engines meaning that other people probably saw it. It took the Department of Homeland Security three weeks to take the server down after being notified. Our next data breach comes from Ford. I'm not sure if this is related to the Power Apps one. It sounds like it might be, but I was unable to confirm that. So I'm reporting this as a separate breach. Ford has a customer engagement system called Pega Infinity and it was misconfigured, which allowed for the access of quote, sensitive systems and proprietary data such as customer databases, employee records and internal tickets, unquote. This included customer and employee records, finance account numbers if you financed a car through them, database names and. And tables oauth access tokens internal support tickets user profiles within the organization pulse actions internal interfaces this was discovered and disclosed by robert willis and breaker ford took six months to reply and fix the issue our next data breach comes from chase who accidentally leaked customer info to other customers the data included statements transaction lists names and account numbers it is unclear if it affected everyone or only a specific group of customers like you know people with business banking accounts for example the issue lasted between may 24th and july 14th of 2021 and impacted both the online portal and the mobile app. As usual, they are offering free credit monitoring. As usual, I don't think you should take advantage of that. Instead, I would say the lesson here is to remember to use masking card payments like privacy.com or to use cash because then sure, they would still have your name and your account number, but your statement wouldn't have anything on it. It would just have ATM withdrawal or privacy.com and you know, they wouldn't be able to see you went to Wendy's 12 times last week. Hackers breached the US Census Bureau on January 11th of 2020 using a Citrix ADC vulnerability that had been disclosed on GitHub the day prior. This is why updates matter because as soon as a vulnerability is disclosed, especially if it's publicly disclosed, all bets are off and the attackers will go for it. Since this happened before the actual census had taken place, the numbers were not affected. However, the officials say that their quote internal network for its remote workforce unquote was affected. They said the attacker had modified account data and was preparing for a remote code execution, but their persistent backdoor failed and the attack was unsuccessful. And then we got some updates to a few data breaches we've talked about before. First of all, the Colonial Pipeline, which happened in May, big, big ransomware attack, shut down gas for like the entire East Coast here in the US. The Colonial Pipeline has learned that the Darkside Ransomware Group was also able to collect personal information for 5,810 individuals during the attack and is informing those individuals. The information included names, contact info, date of birth, government ID, so like social security number, military ID, tax ID, whatever, and health-related information, including insurance. Not everybody had that same amount of information stolen, but everybody who was impacted had had at least one of those things stolen. Pearson is facing a $1 million fine for downplaying a data breach. For those of you who are lucky enough not to have dealt with them in the past, Pearson is a, an educational publishing giant. They provide digital textbooks for a lot of university students. I'm assuming probably some high school too, but I've never seen that. They are a perfect example of everything that DRM should not be. This settlement does not include an admission of guilt. The data breach happened in 2018, was discovered in 2019, and included student data and admin login credentials of 13000 schools, districts, and university customer accounts. It also included credentials that were hash using an outdated algorithm, which they did not disclose. Henry made a note here for me to mention that it is so sad that student data is just treated like crap. Students are forced into this ecosystem with little or no choice, despite the fact that a lot of them are minors. The schools don't take this data seriously, even though they're dealing with very, very sensitive data like social security numbers. The point is, if you're a parent or a student, just be aware of that and understand that these schools do not take your information seriously. The Companies that they share with do not care about you or your data. They care about your data in that they want it. They don't care about protecting it or being ethical with it. So just be aware of that. And our final data breach is an update from, I believe it was our last surveillance report. We talked about Belarus and how there's a hacktivist group who claimed they had stolen a bunch of identification documents from the current administration and were threatening to release it. Well, they followed through. What they said last time was that it's travel records for the cabinet, passport cards, and stuff like that. It also turns out it It contains alleged police informants, personal information about top government officials and spies, video footage gathered from police drones and detention centers, and secret recordings of phone calls from a government wiretapping system. (laughs) They really buried the lead. Now it's time to move into companies. Let's start with some Apple CSAM updates. For those who have somehow missed this memo, Apple has announced that they're going to start rolling out a system in iOS 15, that anything that gets uploaded to iCloud will be scanned for child sexual abuse material. Our first update, there is a security company called Corellium and they make basically an iOS emulator, a virtualization platform where researchers can research iOS in a safe environment. They are offering to pay security researchers $15,000 plus one free year of using that platform in order to check and verify Apple's various claims. This is because last month, one of the Apple executives, Craig Federighi, I probably pronounced that wrong, stated that the new CSAM measures will be open to multiple kinds of audit. I think it's interesting to note that in 2019, Apple sued Corellium, claiming that this this iOS virtualization platform, quote, violated its copyrights, enabled the sale of software exploits used for hacking and shouldn't exist, unquote. I'm just gonna let that one hang there. Either Apple has changed their tune or these claims are just lip service. I will let you make up your own mind on what you think that is. Meanwhile, the neural hash algorithm has been reverse engineered. So this is the actual way that Apple claims they're going to scan for child sexual material. A researcher noticed that the technology was already present as early as iOS 14.3. So this means two things. First of all, anyone who's decided, well, my solution to this issue is that I'm just not gonna update to iOS 15, you probably already missed the boat. It's probably already on your phone. Number two, this shows that Apple has been working on this for a long, long, long time, and therefore probably will not abandon this move despite the growing pressure, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The reverse engineering has already produced examples of intentional hash collisions. This is basically when there's a totally safe image, like a picture of a skyline or a picture of a tree, and the hash is the same as a known hash of child porn. And this has been an issue since day one, because if somebody who's relatively technically savvy doesn't like you and they know you use an iPhone and they know you've got automatic like cloud backup, they could just send you a whole bunch of these totally safe images and tip off the flag and get you investigated. And yes, it will be dropped and you'll be cleared, but that's not going to be a pretty look when the cops show up at your door because they think you got kitty porn. Even if you get cleared of it, that's might get you fired that might lose you some friends and valuable relationships that is not a good place to be apple said that the way the system works is you have to have a certain number of flags before you will actually get reported and even then a human being will check and see is this a hash collision or is this person actually uploading stuff but ever since this reverse engineering came out people have been finding intentional hash collisions left and right and at very least that's going to clog up the system and make it less efficient it should also be noted on the topic of the whole ios 14.3 thing one article said that Apple has already been scanning iCloud mail for CSAM material. So this isn't really a new thing. This is more of a, a new use for it, which is just kind of interesting because I know I talk about sometimes the idea of mission creep and how sometimes the technology will be introduced like, oh, we're only going to do this thing with it, but since it's already in place, maybe we should go ahead and do this with it as well. And then it just expands and expands and expands. Last but not least, the thing I said, we'll get to over 90 groups have gotten together and written an open letter calling for Apple to abandon this project. Like I said, I don't think that's gonna work because clearly Apple has put a lot of time and money into this, but that's out there. Enough about Apple, let's talk about Google. After increased pressure from 60 civil rights groups that were led by the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, known as STOP, Google has agreed to be more transparent about the number of geofence warrants they receive from US law enforcement. They have already released their first report, and according to this first report, almost a quarter of all the warrants that Google gets from US officials are geofence warrants. For those who don't know, geofence is when the cops will say, we know a crime took place at this address at this time we want a list of every Google account that was in the area between an hour before and an hour after. Since most people are signed into their phones with a Google account so they can download things from the Play Store, that's very valuable data. They also do this with Apple. They do this with a lot of companies. These requests usually come from state and local agencies rather than federal. And unfortunately, the number has been going up. It was 982 in 2018, 8,396 in 2019, and 11,554 in 2020. They did not disclose how often they push back on these warrants or how many Of them, they honored. Next, Google Calendar will let you record where you're working to help organize office meetings. So, this is to help now that we live in this hybrid work world where sometimes you work from home and sometimes you don't. Google is now giving you the ability to set in your calendar where you expect to be. So, for example, if you know you're working from home on Tuesday, you can mark that on your Google Calendar. So, when the company is trying to schedule a meeting, they know Tuesday is not the best day because you won't be in the office. Personal opinion Google is going to track you either way. I don't think this is really nefarious in the sense of Google because Google already knows where you are, but I do think that this is worth paying attention to because it now allows you to tell your coworkers where you are and this can make workplace stalking and harassment a lot easier for example I mean there's a lot of things that could go wrong with this but I think that's probably the most obvious and likely to happen and finally Gmail is opening and caching URLs within emails without user intervention this is actually a support ticket from a user which has so far gone unanswered they're doing a, a simulated phishing attack at their office which is you know commonplace thing and they notice that when a user opens an email Google owned IP addresses seem to be automatically opening the links and caching them, which I assume is an attempt on Google to make the page load faster. The problem is this is a phishing attack. They're compromising the system in their attempt to be more user-friendly. And of course, it's also a huge privacy concern. The moral here, in my opinion, is to use a zero-knowledge provider like Tutanota or ProtonMail or somebody like that because they can't see your inbox and they can't do this to you. Let's talk about Facebook. Guys, go buy a lottery ticket because Facebook actually did something ethical this week. Facebook has proactively hidden the friends list of users in Afghanistan Stand as a safety measure. They have also released a tool that lets users, quote, quickly lock down accounts, which they define as it will prevent their profile photo from being shared or downloaded and will make posts private to users who aren't friends. First of all, as much as I hate Facebook, kudos to them for doing the right thing. This is a good move. I do think that all of this stuff, first of all, should be default, but also if you use Facebook, which I don't think you should, but I know some people have to, you should already have your profile set like this. You should have as much of it locked down as you can. Everything hidden. Nobody can comment. Nobody can tag you. Nobody can... And see your posts, all of that. And then we got a few more stories from some other companies. So first off, Clubhouse is also removing personal info from user accounts in Afghanistan. They have reset, quote, tens of thousands of Afghan user profiles to protect them from the Taliban. That includes resetting the bios and the display names and stuff like that. They're also reminding users that they do accept pseudonyms. You do not have to use your real name on Clubhouse. The better solution, in my opinion, is to just not use Clubhouse. Blackberry resisted announcing a major flaw in software powering cars and hospital equipment. This story is, to me, a reminder that companies are under no obligation to do the right thing. And even when they are, they still usually don't. Blackberry has this software called QNX, which they license to other companies that companies can then use to build their own products and devices. It's a kind of like an SDK or a third-party library. There was a flaw in QNX that has impacted up to 200 million cars, hospitals, and factory equipment, and the company kept it quiet. In fact, this was only caught because other companies found it independently and went public with it in May. On the topic of third-party libraries, attackers are actively exploiting Realtek SDK flaws. So this is just... Just like earlier with the whole census Citrix thing, this comes just days after the vulnerabilities were discovered. Realtek has not commented, but they have released advisories. So they're probably working on it. But in the meantime, here's ways to mitigate it. I know that Realtek is very common, every laptop I've ever had has had Realtek audio devices. So this could potentially impact any of that. Our next story comes from PayPal. And this ties into our sponsor this week, Monero. PayPal is teaming up with the Anti-Defamation League to crack down on extremism. So I just wanna point out, this article is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly biased. However, I think they still make a good point that is worth considering and being aware of. We have seen PayPal shut down user accounts in the past for things like donating to Tor. Now they're teaming up with the Anti-Defamation League who is extremely left-wing and they want to screen payments for extremist groups. Now, I'm not here to tell you to send money to the Taliban or the Proud Boys or QAnon or any of that crap, but it is still problematic when other companies are telling you what you can and cannot do with your money. It is a form of control. And the real issue here is the lack of transparency. It's not like PayPal and the Anti-Defamation League are going to get together once a year and say, here's our list of extremist companies that we will not approve payment for and here's why. They just choose and they don't tell you and they don't have to justify it to you. Monero, man. Monero, Bitcoin, all these decentralized currencies that are harder to censor and allow you to put your money where you want and in what you believe in. And our last company story, a lawsuit is being filed in New Mexico against Rovio Entertainment who is the developer of Angry Birds claiming that they knowingly collected data on children under 13, which they then shared with third-party advertisers. We will keep you updated on this as it unfolds. You know, the real moral here is pay attention to the privacy policy. Ask yourself if it's really worth downloading an app. Let's move into research. We're gonna start off with a critical bug that lets gamers add unlimited funds to their Steam wallets that I'm sorry to report has been fixed. Basically, Valve uses a third party payment processor called Smart2Pay, and if you changed your email a certain way, then it would fool the API and the way that Smart2Pay functions, and it would just confuse the system and increase your wallet. Our next story comes from Privacy International, who did a study into how effective face masks are at disrupting facial recognition. The long story short is they're probably not very effective, but we don't know for sure because all of these systems are proprietary and they're not open to audit, and we have no way to verify any of this. However, if you have 20 British pounds lying around, which at the time of this recording, according to DuckDuckGo, is $27.52 USD, then you can support Privacy International by buying a mask from them. They're fully transparent. They're not claiming it can protect you, but it does fund them, and it kind of makes a statement, spreads the word about privacy, spreads the word about Privacy International. They're a really cool organization, and they also have a podcast, by the way, if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to about privacy and technology. Our next story is one of those papers that did go over my head, but I'm going to try my best to explain this as best as I understood it. It's called Optical Adversarial Attack can change the meaning of road signs. Researchers were messing around with self-driving cars and they found that they could change a stop sign into a speed limit sign. This was done primarily at night by overexposing the image. This kind of also ties into the hash collision thing we just talked about. If you look at the pictures, it's one of those things that's invisible to the human eye. I don't see how it worked, but basically they shone really bright lights at the sign. The really creepy thing about this was they didn't need any access to the code. I don't even think they needed access to the car. That's super creepy and it shows the AI still has a long way to go and that could be an issue. This next story, I'm going to admit, I chose the article with the clickbaity headline, but I'm also including the other article because it is much less sensational and much more thorough. So there is a plug and play SDK, software developer kit, we just talked about those, called Tech Calais. This is a smart device setup thing, kind of makes everything plug and play. Unfortunately, in late 2020, researchers found a critical bug, which is finally being disclosed. I'm gonna quote the article. An attacker could connect to a device at will, retrieve audio and video, and use the remote API to then do things like trigger a firmware update, change the panning angle of a camera or reboot the device. And the user doesn't know that anything is wrong. This is kind of scary. It doesn't just affect webcams and baby monitors. It affects a lot of IOT devices. The moral of the story here, technology, just be aware of it. Our next research story is about Bumble, the dating app, and a vulnerability that allowed researchers to reveal any user's exact location. The long story short, most dating apps nowadays will round distances for user protection. So if I match with someone on a dating app, it's not gonna say you're 365 miles away. It's going to say you're three and a half miles away. If you're determined and you're careful, some of them will allow you to spoof your location and move your pin around to pinpoint where somebody is. These researchers found that even though most dating apps have found ways to better protect user privacy, you can still triangulate a user's location just by being very, very methodical and determined and spoofing your location and moving it step by step by step. The author did suggest that Bumble could fix this by basically first it takes your location, then estimates you to the Nearest grid point and then uses that to calculate distance because then no matter where you move around, as long as you're near that grid point, it's always going to put you on that grid point, which is actually kind of a creative solution. Our last research story is just general market research. Phishing attack costs have nearly quadrupled in the last six years. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. Phishing is still a huge, huge problem, and the cost of falling for phishing has risen dramatically. Right now, companies are losing about $14.8 million on average, which is about $1,500 per employee. Don't fall for phishing attacks. That means don't click links you weren't expecting, don't open attachments you weren't expecting. If somebody sends you an email that says click here to read a message, don't click it, go to the website directly and open it and look for the message, things like that. Let's move into politics. In my opinion, this is kind of an update to a story, but it got picked up and repeated several times, so it's worth mentioning. Citizen Lab essentially now has proof that the government of Bahrain used Pegasus to spy on activists, journalists, and others. We mentioned when we were first talking about the whole Pegasus scandal that according to NSO's terms of service, they are supposed to carefully vet their clients, and they are not allowed to use Pegasus for anything other than monitoring terrorists. This is definitive proof that NSO is lying about that. Either they don't vet their clients or they don't enforce the terms of service. It's also interesting to note that one of the people who was definitively hacked in this study was a Bahraini exile living in London. Bahrain doesn't normally go outside their own borders. So either they've started expanding or another nation state was involved helping them. The plot thickens. For our next story, we're gonna to move to the US where Illinois bought invasive phone location data from a banned broker called Safegraph. We talked about this, I think, last Surveillance Report, maybe a couple weeks ago. Google Play banned a company called Safegraph because they are extremely invasive and they take location data from apps, often without telling users, just like Google does. The state of Illinois, their Department of Transportation, purchased access to geolocation data from SafeGraph. They claimed that this was done through a third-party consulting agency, and they were trying to better understand traffic patterns and demand. I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Initially, they said they only wanted 10% of the state as a sample size, and they only wanted one month of data. SafeGraph, I guess, really wants to like reel in the clients. They threw in 42% of the state and two years of data, one year of historical historical data, and then one ongoing year of updated information. The concern here is I understand that governments and infrastructure, they need to know where are people driving, where are they going to, where do our roads need the most repair, where do we need to widen the roads? I understand these things. The concern is that by going through these companies, the government is still supporting an industry that is going to unethical lengths to record invasive data. Let's talk about Afghanistan again. First of all, I don't think that we have released a surveillance report since Afghanistan fell. It should go without saying that It sucks what's going on there, and our hearts go out to everyone in Afghanistan right now. There's people having their lives turned upside down. It really sucks to see what's going on over there. In privacy news, our first story, the Taliban have seized US military biometric devices. The military has these things called Handheld Interagency Identification Detection Equipment, called HIDE because the military loves acronyms. During the fall of Afghanistan, the Taliban acquired several of these devices. The devices contain biometric data like iris scans and fingerprints, as well as biographical data on both suspected and known terrorists and also Afghans who assisted the US. Multiple capacities, diplomatic, translators, contractors on base, stuff like that. One source did say that the Taliban are probably gonna need additional tools to access the data. Fortunately, they can't just open it and use it. However, that same source was concerned that Pakistan might be willing to provide those tools. It does kinda show how things that you think are safe now may not be safe in the future and you always have to think worst case scenario. Not to an unhealthy extent, it's part of threat modeling. It's a very important part. Our second story goes back to Facebook and clubhouse that we talked about earlier, Afghans are racing to erase their online digital lives. That title really says it all. Under the American rule, many Afghans were, for lack of a better way to put this, kind of joining the civilized world, and I know that's a really crappy way to put it, but they began to build digital presences and participate in the online community and join a world that is mostly westernized, for better or worse. Now that the super right-wing conservative Taliban have taken over, those ties to Western platforms and ideologies like Twitter and selfies of them where the girls, you can see their faces and stuff. Those things can now be used for retaliation. Many Afghans are trying really, really hard to erase that presence. The moral of the story here is to remember that what you post today can be a risk tomorrow. Fortunately, if you're watching this, you will probably never see this level of retribution and risk, however, there can still be other dangers. I was alive when 9-11 happened. I remember watching it happen, and I remember seeing how the cultural zeitgeist shifted from like, what is Islam to public enemy number one. You never know what's gonna happen. Be careful what you post online. And our final political story, comes from the UK, where the UK Home Office has quietly, without announcement, released new guidelines sanctioning the use of live facial recognition technology by police in England and Wales. This was done during a parliamentary recess and therefore is being perceived as being done without government input or oversight. Basically, UK is rolling out live facial recognition tech and they kind of did it behind the government's back. Now is your chance to buy a mask from Privacy International. Let's move into our free and open source FOSS section. We'll start off with Element. Element has rolled out a bunch of new features. The most prominent of these includes voice messages where instead of typing it out you just hold the button, you say what you're going to say, you let it go and you send it. Henry said he tried these out and they seem to work very, very well. Element has also rebuilt the one-to-one voice and video call feature which they also mention includes a keypad because they are hoping at some point in the future they can roll that out to non-Element devices so in the future you can use Element to place phone calls to order pizza or whatever. They also have a whole host of other small UI changes. You can go ahead and read the blog for the full list. Mastodon, the open source decentralized Twitter alternative, is now a non-profit organization. The founder and main dev Eugen has registered Mastodon as a German non-profit. This will allow the project to be a little bit more sustainable, last a little bit longer. It does change the tax structure for donations and stuff like that. So if you're curious about how your Patreon or whatever donations will be treated, go ahead and check the blog post. It will also allow Eugen to do things in the future like hire more devs, more UI and UX designers, create official apps, and stuff like that. Our next story comes from Brave. This has since been fixed. Brave has a feature where you can browse privately with Tor. We never, never recommend this, and this is one reason why. It had a vulnerability that allowed the attacker to view the exact timestamp you connected to an Onion address, Onion V2 specifically. This could, in theory, allow an attacker to correlate your traffic and identify you. The moral of the story, just use the Tor browser. The strength of Tor comes from all of its users looking the same. If you're using Brave to browse Tor, you look different and you stand out. Finally, there are security vulnerability fixes in Firefox 91.0.1 and Thunderbird 91.0.1. Firefox and Thunderbird have both been updated to fix, quote, possible header splitting HTTP3 response, unquote, vulnerabilities. I don't know what that is, but it was marked as high impact, so I assume it was very serious. Go ahead and check and make sure you are updated. Finally, let's move into our misfit section. We're gonna start off with a really big story. It was actually still getting reposted on Twitter as I was writing these notes. A Los Angeles County man, phished over 620,000 iCloud accounts in a plot to steal and share images of naked young women. He admitted that he was impersonating Apple customer support staff in emails and having users give him their login credentials. He was able to steal photos and videos of at least 306 individuals, mostly young women. The article also mentions that they used an unnamed foreign encrypted email service. Ooh, so scary. So definitely expect to see that pop up in the popular zeitgeist is why encrypted email is bad and only criminals use it. The moral of the story is, again, phishing. The basics. Check the email. Make sure it's actually from somebody because sometimes they'll send you, this is your bank and it's from bank at gmail.com. Don't submit credentials. Go directly to the official source. Like we said, if it says click here to check a message, don't do that. Just go straight to the website and log in. If it's real, the message will still be there. I promise they want to get a hold of you. Last but not least, two-factor. Even if you do fall for the email and you give the guy your credentials, if you have two-factor, he still can't get in. I would also personally argue, don't keep anything on iCloud. You should be using a zero-knowledge cloud provider, which I think TechLore actually just did a video about that. Recently. Go check that out. Our next story is in a similar but much grosser vein. This is also in California, in San Bernardino. The varsity football assistant coach of a high school has been arrested for planting a hidden camera in the girls' restroom. First of all, ew. Secondly, for this story and the previous story, do people not know that porn is free on the internet? I'm genuinely confused by these people, especially the last one with the iCloud. For all the work that guy put in, he could have downloaded the entire Pornhub database in the same amount of time. I don't understand it. I really, really don't. Moral of the story, don't don't be a terrible human being. Okay, here's a story that's in a totally different direction and is actually kind of funny. A malware developer infected their own PC and ended up submitting their information to an online intelligence platform. Unfortunately, the data only contained a name and an email address, so it's not enough to unmask them and figure out who it is. When I read the story, I thought he was intentionally infecting like a virtual machine to be like, okay, let's find out what this does. When Henry read the story, he read it as like, this guy accidentally infected his machine. Either way, I think he is a good example of what to do right because when his machine became compromised and it submitted all this information, it didn't submit anything that was useful. It sent more than just the name and the email address, but none of it was useful. They couldn't ID the guy. He kept his machine so clean and so well compartmentalized. Don't do crimes, but also learn from what the bad guys do when it's effective. Our next story is just a quick update, a reminder about ransomware and how it is becoming a huge mainstream problem. Memorial Health System was hit by ransomware, which caused 64 clinics in West Virginia and Ohio to shut down. They had to cancel surgeries and redirect ambulances to other hospitals while they are trying to get their system back online. Ransomware is becoming a huge, huge thing. It is becoming a mainstream problem and we need to take it seriously. On the topic of huge things and mainstream problems, Pegasus iPhone hacks are being used as a lure in extortion schemes. So most of us have probably seen this email before where it says, I've infected your device and I've been recording you and I've captured your screen when you went to a porn site and now I'm gonna send it to all your friends and family unless you send me money. First of all, those are scams, delete them. They're not true. Second, attackers are now playing off how public Pegasus Pegasus went and how mainstream it went, and they're using it as a buzzword. Now it's the same email, but they're saying, you're infected with Pegasus and I've been recording you. The moral I took away from this story is not to hype things too much. Keep things in perspective. Yes, Pegasus is a big deal, and the abuse of it is a big deal. The fact that it exists is a big deal, but the point is we wanna be careful not to blow things out of proportion because realistically, 99% of you watching this don't have to worry about Pegasus, and I'm not trying to be rude. Unfortunately, when we blow these things out of proportion, what we're doing is we're fear-mongering, and we're making everybody think that, oh, if you have an iPhone, you have Pegasus. And that's not necessarily the case. Make people aware, make people understand the dangers and the risks, but don't sensationalize. Keep them in perspective. Our next story is also a fun one. A hacker stole $600 million in cryptocurrency and returned it and was offered a job. I guess this guy was proving a vulnerability. I don't know why he didn't just disclose it. For whatever reason, a hacker stole $600 million in cryptocurrency and then like two days later gave it all back. And the exchange has openly said they won't charge him. They're going to give him the bug bounty and he can do whatever he wants with it and they've even offered him a job like hey obviously you found the holes in our security we want someone like you to make it better for that one i'm including the twitter post because the twitter post kind of summarizes this whole thing but it also has a link to the actual fuller post that the company posted explaining everything that happened this next story is really unsettling for those of you who don't know in 2019 in Christchurch, new zealand there was a mass shooting in two mosques during service times so a lot of people got shot a lot of muslim people a man in australia downloaded a video of the shootings about two weeks after they happened he was just curious that was 2019 in April of 2021 he opened the video again which somehow the authorities detected and that prompted them to arrest him for possessing extremist material this article bugs me because they never explain how the cops knew that he opened the video on his local machine I'm gonna assume he was using like Windows Media Player or something I don't know super super creepy I guess the moral of the story is use Linux. Use something that doesn't call home. Use something that actually respects your privacy. Our next story is also about questionable censorship. There is a 21-year-old Indian man named Madhya Pradesh who was arrested under India's National Security Act for posting, quote, pro-Pakistan photos. According to the National Security Act, he can be detained for up to 12 months without charge. The photo, by the way, was a selfie of him wearing a t-shirt with a Pakistan flag and the word Jordan on it. I guess the theme this week is just be careful what you post online. I'm not gonna get political about it, but I think it's a little bit ridiculous that we're arresting people for opening videos on their personal computers and wearing a t-shirt expressing free speech. In South Africa, for those of you who don't know, last month, there were a lot of protests that, as protests often do, unfortunately turned into looting and riots because they recently incarcerated their former president, Jacob Zuma. One of the most popular items stolen was smart TVs. Samsung has announced that in response, they will be blocking all the TVs that were stolen. Like I always say, I'm not encouraging you to go commit crimes. I'm not being like, oh, that's messed up. Samsung. I mean, you stole the TV, but it does show that we're living in a world where things are not yours. Just like with the Apple CSAM stuff, your phone is not yours. Your TV is not yours. Your computer is not yours. It rats you out to the cops. And our last story is about how data brokers sell access to the backbone of the internet. I'm going to go ahead and quote the opening paragraph of the article. There's something of an open secret in the cybersecurity world. Internet service providers quietly give away detailed information about which computer is communicating with another to private businesses, which then sells access to that data to a range of third parties, according to Multiple sources in the threat intelligence industry. Basically, your ISP is keeping track of everything your computer does and every other computer that you connect to, and the entire topology of the internet is being monitored. Personal opinion this is one reason that I don't really think it matters what company your provider is based in. It matters to an extent, but not really because the entire internet is pretty much entirely owned by the Five Eyes countries, anyways, and heavily monitored. However, the bigger concern in this particular article is that this data has the ability to do things like track VPN traffic and Kind of make your VPN useless because they can still correlate where you're going. That's just something to be aware of. I don't really have a solution for that right now, but it's something to have on your radar. And it's yet another reminder to not do anything illegal because it probably won't work out for you. And that was all of the news for this report. Two weeks of news. Holy cow. Thank you guys for listening to all of that. Once again, this week's surveillance report is brought to you by Monero. It is about as private as you're going to get, except for maybe cash. Way to pay for things, especially digitally. Both TechLore and the New Oil do accept Monero donations. So be sure to check out Monero if you've never heard of it. They have a really cool video on their website that explains it. Thank you again for listening to Surveillance Report. We are happy to know that you are trying to stay safe out there. The final thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rate rating if you're listening on a platform where that's an option, you know, a thumbs up on YouTube, a rating on Apple podcasts, whatever. We are trying to reach as many people as possible. And when you do things like subscribe and like the video and share it, that tells the algorithms that this content is popular and that more people want to see it. And therefore more people get to see it and you can help with that. Thank you again for listening and we will see you next week.